Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 165. The girls dug me growth. They so did. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, John Richards. Hello, listener. And to my right, it's Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. All about television. That's what Box Cutters is. All about television. Yes, welcome. Which uh, makes me wonder why we're having a uh, forensic pathologist come in as our guest. That's because he's a forensic pathologist to the stars. Ah, yes, when... uh, When, when, when Veronica Mars needs her forensic pathology done, yep, when, she goes to David Ranson. When Gwyneth Paltrow wants a bit of chopping, Dr. David Ranson is there. Dr. When they found Elvis Presley on the can, there Ranson. it was. That's pure Ranson. Yeah, that's 100% Ranson. Dr. David Ranson, who uh, is a forensic pathologist, but is also a consultant for television shows that require forensic pathology and... Related expertise. <laughs> it's very vague, is it? Shows that require. You work it out. When, when it out. they're doing the autopsy on, on Jericho, for example. Uh, but not play school. Yeah, yeah, that, that time that they did. Uh, oh, play school's uh, uh, not dead. No, 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 but the, the time they did the op- autopsy on Hamble. Terrible, and, uh, terrible, just, just unprofessional. Yeah. Shameful. They, they were using plastic trays. They've never had good lighting on Play School, though. Uh, That's true. Very disappointing. He, he, will, uh, he will talk to us about uh, what is real and what isn't real in the world of television, murder investigation, That'll be a corker, Yeah, I'm really excited. Really excited about that one. Uh, we've also uh, got a show called Leverage, which uh, was a mid-season replacement in the US for, I believe, the TNT Network. Yes, definitely on the TNT network. Uh, what did it replace? Uh, I don't know, but it came in mid-season. It's. I'm just... not sure we've ever looked at anything on the TNT network. Uh, no. That's a first time for everything. I always thought it was one of the wrestling nights. So, go figure. Mm? I think it was at one stage. Anyway, Leverage uh, is a show that we'll be talking about later on in this episode of Box Cutters. We're also going to give you a production update. A lot of news has come out in the last week about... Uh, Things that are going ahead, things that are being cancelled, things that are moving into other areas. So we're going to this namby pamby. Just uh, I don't think we'll order any more episodes. I don't know. These these are definitive, probably answers <laughs> to, uh, to to all those questions you have about your favourite shows. We're going to finish it all off with pork. But as always, let's kick things off with the box cutters news. In celebrity death news, should we go the big guns first? We should. Look, we've got forensic pathologists mm-hmm. coming in. Let's start with a lot of dead people. Okay, well, uh, Ricardo Montalban, of course, famously Mr. Rourke from Fantasy Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Khan. And Khan. You cannot forget he was Khan. From he- both uh, Star Trek TV and Star and Trek film. The Wrath of Khan. Ah, Khan, not Khan. Khan. Yeah, Khan. <laughs> I, I thought maybe we were talking about some French film festival there for a second. No, 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 no. He wasn't a French film film festival. He he was the uh, the leader of the Klingons. Don't look at me. I don't know. No, he was. Okay. All right. Yeah. We're looking at you because you know you're sci-fi. Boy I know, but Star Trek's never been one I've been terribly interested in. So some, it's, uh, it's that gap. You know? Magnificent so, blonde, long hair in a picture that I saw today. Yeah. Now the, I have to also say, I don't believe we've had anything to do with any of these guests. 
but I haven't gone back and checked. I did get asked. I, I, I honestly, I did get asked. Did we kill Patrick McGowan? Sorry, spoiler for the next five minutes. Um, I did get asked if we killed him, and I, I, I don't believe we've ever mentioned him no, before. I don't well, think so. Well, we we have covered the prisoner. We covered the prisoner. We in did episode fourteen about the remake, and, and we we talked about the remake of it in news a little yes, while in, back. In news recently, uh, and yeah, did a, did a, a whole wrap up of uh, of the prisoner at around episode fourteen. In but, fact, exactly episode fourteen but, of but Box Cutters. But it's not an Eartha Kitt situation. We at no. no point did we announce these people were dead. Well, we we no. talked about Ricardo Montalban in the Jane Badler interview. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe we prematurely killed him in that interview. But feel free to prove me wrong if uh, if you want to go back to episode one hundred and sixty and uh, and see if we did. Be my guest. But yes, Ricardo Gonzalo Pedro Montalbani Marino is no more. Montalbani Marino. Montalbani Marino. Um, really? As in Multiban and Marino. I, I I don't know quite what that's about. He uh, yeah he he's from Multiban, Mont- Montalban, but uh, he. Also, comes with a sheep. <laughs> nice. Not anymore. No. Um, Paul Mann, yes, died on January 14th, and he was 88. Yes. Um, also dead, as I just spoiled, Patrick McGowan, who um, created, well, most famous thing, created The Prisoner, which I think is a brilliant 1960s, sort of um, very odd, paranoid. Basically, there would be no Lost without pri- The Prisoner, I think we can say there would with be, some certainty. There would be no Lost. There would be no, uh, that film, The Island. Wouldn't have happened. Uh, there, there are lots of st- well. This, uh, I'm saying that could go either way as a good or a bad point. But yes, but no, yes, no, but, you, but you, it, it, it is. It, it was a seminal. I don't think there'd be any Twin Peaks without without the prisoner pr- as well. Not. I'm going to throw in there. It was. It was really. And if you want to go back and listen to episode 14, we do cover the prisoner in uh, in, in quite a lot of length. But uh, it, it really was a, an amazing bringing of kind of Kafka esque theory. And spy drama together. It was really, and and it was parodied in some uh, to some extent in 2000 in The Simpsons, in which Patrick yes. McGowan actually provided the voice for one of the characters. And he was also uh, in Danger Man, which perhaps the precursor. There's, there's some was, doubt as yeah. to whether it was supposed to be the same character or not. Which uh, I grew up watching at four o'clock before the Thunderbirds. Oh, really? Yeah, four in the morning. You woke up well too early. Yeah. Danger Man. Now here. you're just getting back to bed at that time, <laughs> if you're lucky. That's an early one. He also apparently won an Emmy for being in Colombo. He won two Emmys. For being in Colombo. Yes, Mm. two Emmys for being in Colombo some 17 years apart. Playing the same character as a guest spot, 17 years apart. That's very odd. And the last role he ever did, do you know? Uh, I I do, but only because I snuck a peek at at your notes. (laughs) A uh, voice role? It was a voice role in in 2002 for uh, Treasure Planet. Co-written by Joss Whedon. Really? Yes. There we go. Yes. Oh, great. So, you just uh, killed Joss Whedon. Good one. No, I, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. I just mentioned his name. It's enough now, isn't it? We, we have the kiss of death. We, we, uh, yeah. In, uh, in let, let me get to... Uh, You've got more deaths. Uh, John Mortner, uh, yes. British writer who created the character Rumpole of the Bailey has died at the age of 85. And... Uh, and uh, UK TV's uh, David Withers, who you might not recognise his name, but he was uh, a, a hugely influential film producer, uh, film and television producer in the UK, and he produced, amongst other things, the Muppet Show when oh. it was uh, mm-hmm. when it was on in the UK, yeah. and The Prisoner. Oh, I know, spooky. That is a bit spooky. I think that show is cursed. And then was he number one? 
I think our final dead person. Uh, am I right in thinking that this is the fifth and final dead person, I, or do we have any more? No, that's uh, we've done my three. Okay, uh, the final dead person I have is Bob May, who we won't know the name of. He was the guy inside the robot in Lost in Space. Aww. He was 69. Um, it does say here that after appearing on the show, he didn't do the voice. He was just inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, after Lost in Space, May went back to theatre and nightclub performing. And I like to think, still inside the robot. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think it was a whole career just inside that robot appearing on, on you know, vaudeville shows in America. Um, he was in Australia in 1986 when he visited Sydney on a Lost in Space tour. Uh, I think uh, I think Bill Moomy came came out for that as well. Did he? I believe so. I believe so. Uh, in uh, in other news and uh, and less kind of deathy news, the Screen Producers Association of Australia will meet with federal government representatives in Canberra next month to lobby for changes to the local content regulations after two thousand eight. So, uh, sorry, after two thousand eight had such an unprecedented number of shows imported from across the strait. Mm-hmm. Should we just backtrack for one second to, to let those who came in late know that the, the ruling was changed so that, you know, Australian content, there's a certain percentage of Australian content must be shown in prime time. And the rule was changed to allow New Zealand to be Australia for the purposes of Australian content. Yes, as, as part of our, what is uh, effectively our free trade agreement with New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand television is allowed to be considered as local content. Uh, it's a, a really interesting thing because I'm sure when they were making this law, nobody ever thought that it would be a threat. Mm. But now that New Zealand is producing so much material and uh, and we're struggling on a, a lot of fronts to produce material, uh, the networks have, have seen that it's really... A, a, a nice, easy, quick solution to... Well, also, I think as New Zealand produces material, it's, um, it's not just a copy of what we're making. Like, they do quite interesting niche material in things like comedy and... and yes. You know, Brotown's an animated comedy, which we've never made, and um, there's lots of drama. So, so it is actually much easier to buy New Zealand material because it's not just, you know, another soap opera or another police drama. It's actually something quite different to put in your network. That's right. And uh, Spa executive producer... Uh, sorry, executive director Jeff Brown told the Sydney Morning Herald, quote, I don't think the networks see Australian content as an obligation. They are trying to reduce costs and maintain quotas by screening material from New Zealand. Well, duh. The, uh, I, can I editorialise? Please do. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I've, uh, is Here is an editorial. Spa are trying to treat a symptom and not the cause of their woes with this problem. If Australian producers had a better idea of what world markets wanted to see, they'd be able to offset a lot of their costs by selling to foreign markets, wouldn't have to rely so heavily on the networks holding their hand or on government regulation. Am I right? Can I hear yeah, an amen? No, no, that's the, quite uh, true. Uh, Australian audiences, audiences prefer to see Australian television shows over New Zealand ones. Fact! <laughs> the, uh, the networks know this. They, they do. And this is why they show a lot of New Zealand content at, say, 10.30 on a Friday night because uh, it's, it's a low ratings time, but they can still cover... Gets points, their... but nobody's watching. Exactly right. Uh, so they also know that they can charge more for advertising during an Australian show than they can a New Zealand show. But they're still running a business and their obligation is to the greater good of their business. First and foremost, that's that's the way a, a television network w- works. And changing the rules of a long-standing agreement with our country's closest neighbour and ally 
will not benefit anybody and could result in a backlash from a major international purchaser of Australian content. I mean, this is, this is something that we can't forget either, that New Zealand buys a lot of Australian content. And if we start, uh, if we start changing our agreement with New Zealand, there could be a backlash. I mean, they're, they're clearly producing a lot of content and it wouldn't be that hard for them to get cheap content from other countries as well. Although you could argue we should never have had that contract in the first place, though, that we should never have sold out our culture to the... Sorry to interrupt your, your editorial <laughs> but I'm, I'm just saying that um, yeah, part of, part of the whole thing, and again, the, the GATT talks with the US and everything as well, that idea of going, our culture's up for grabs. You know, it was kind of like, well, surely Australian content quota is there to provide Australian content. That's why we introduced it. Well, yes, but at the same time, the world has changed a lot since we brought in the Australian content quota and uh, and television has, has changed a lot and the way television is bought and sold around the world has uh, changed considerably. Uh, but surely the, the argument there is that, I mean, that's, that's, that's made it even more important to have it. I mean, because we all know the commercial networks would dump every Australian program, you know, and, and replace it with two and a half men at any chance they're given because it's going to be so much cheaper for them to run that as a business model. I mean, that's the thing as a business... It's much cheaper to buy an episode of Lost than to produce. But you know, where Blue where Heroes. are you going to draw the line, though? How how much are you going to protect Australian content at the uh, uh, at, at the risk of uh, basically re- reducing our uh, our relationship well, with, well, with other countries? How much do you value the Australian identity? Because this is the thing. I mean, because I'm presuming it's Spars saying they want to put us back to how it was before we signed the agreement. I mean, yes. it's like, that's what they're, they're after. And yes, I mean, my point is more like, yeah, why did we allow this to have happened in the first place to agree? Because I think you do have to protect the Australian identity, Australian culture, because it doesn't make money. And as a nation, we're obsessed with making money. And I think it does need to be protected because otherwise it will just vanish and we'll but be quite happy to give it up. But it's too late for that. Well, the, the thing I, is, yeah, the, yeah. The, agreement's, the agreement's been made and... We all arced up when it was with the US, but we didn't arc up when it was when it was with New Zealand. Oh, there was there was some arcing. I do remember arcage. Do, do you remember? Arcage? I do remember arcage. I don't remember any arcage mm. over over the New Zealand one. But the fact is that it's it's gone. It's happened, and uh, and we live in a new environment. So it, it, I see it like uh, like the the. Uh, record companies complaining about the internet, and you know if they had their sure. way, they would just shut the internet down. Yes, because okay. it's it's changed the the playing field. Mm-hmm. For I, so, do, so I, ma- I do agree. I mean, I, the whole point would be if Australian television could actually make stuff we could sell overseas, rather than just making poor copies of the things we buy from overseas. Yes, because and obviously, Brotown I can sell to an American channel because it's not like anything they've got. Whereas you know, Blue Healers or uh, All Saints, they've got that already. They're, it's they it's so them. much. It's so much like a lot of what they have. So, you know, I don't think progress is going to come from whinging, but it will come from problem solving. And uh, I really think Spa would be better off making great Australian stories rather than just screwing with Australia's international relations. That's my theory. What do you think? Send us an email, hooray at boxcutters.net, and once again, tell me I'm wrong about this whole <laughs> New Zealand thing. I just, I just think that, you know, the time is for action, not for complaining and not for lobbying, but for actually getting out there and making stories and making them uh, viable and compelling for networks to buy. I don't think that's too much to ask. I don't think it is. Pull your socks up, spa. That's what I say. 
John, you've uh, you, you've got some uh, some news about Channel Ten cameras. Uh, I do. It's it's you know it's a little bit tentative this, but um, we've talked to, uh, I think in the last couple of weeks about Canwest is the Canadian company that owns fifty six percent of Network Ten. They've um, been having you know problems with this current financial bloody ah yeah what they're calling it. Um, they lost almost thirty three million dollars in the first quarter and would have trouble meeting their financial ratios. Uh, it promised to maintain when it renegotiated its debt in November. So they've said they're in no pressure to sell Channel 10, but there is a quote on the page over here um, that Moody's chief financial officer said there's a potential that bankers could force Ken West to sell its stake in Channel 10 if covenants were breached as has pledged the shares as security. So effectively, if things keep going wrong with Ken West, Channel 10 might have to play old repeats of The Simpsons constantly. Uh, yeah, hang on. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> Brett Cropley, you've got some uh, interesting Channel 9 news. Uh, yes, uh, after, and, and this is something that we haven't really covered uh, because it's been going on in Sydney, they've uh, actually gone through a changeover of news anchors uh, with the Channel 9 bulletins up in Sydney from Mark Ferguson to Peter Overton, uh, spouse of she who must not be boned. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> That's right, they have. It's a, it, it was big news in Sydney. Massive news in Sydney. Uh, not a single ripple down here in Melbourne. Um, well, you know, hitch is hitch, and he's just going to stay that way. And we were all too busy wearing black and drinking coffee. Oh, yeah, talking about art. <laughs> now that uh, John Westercott's head of uh, news at Channel 9 has uh, gone in um, as the henchman and cutting out Mark Ferguson, uh, word is that he's next to be boned. Um uh, with a particular threat from somebody that uh, he actually brought into the uh, network, uh, an English man uh, called Miss uh, Mark Kelvitz. There we go. Um, he's seen as the uh, the predominant threat, and uh, apparently uh, Westcott's time at the network is limited. Uh, it's it, that's showgirls all over again, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, you know, bring someone into the fold and then they just push you down the stairs. Next thing you know, you're dancing topless at a boat show. I never got to see show. Having sex with Carl McLaughlin in a swimming pool. Surrounded by neon trees. No, you know, there's there's good things in uh, in the course for Westie. But uh, yeah, that's that's not great. John Westcott was a, a great... Uh, a great part of Channel Nine, and uh, if he does go, their newsroom is going to be in in complete chaos. It's it's going to be horrible. And yet again, this is a, another case of well, they'd get rid of John Westacott, who was doing a very good job and a very hard job winning back Channel Nine's uh, prime position as the the news presenter for the nation. Uh, yet they'll keep Eddie Maguire on his three million dollars a year. It just it, it doesn't make three. Thank you. Over uh, understating that. Am I? Yeah. Am I, it's I more like 4.3 or 5. It ha- is hard to get by on $3 million a year now. Yeah. You know, financial crisis. Well, he also, uh, he, he also has other things going on. He's, you know, he's all right. He's doing all right. Eddie, he's doing fine. Uh, Channel 4 in the UK is looking to be merged with Channel 5, according to a leaked UK government report. Uh, Channel 4 is publicly owned, but uh, does also get advertising revenue. 
and uh, it's in financial trouble. There were talks about it merging with the BBC. There were also talks about it merging with BBC Worldwide, and now they're saying it will merge with RTL's Channel 5 in the UK. It's such a random choice. It is really random. Because they're completely different networks. Yeah, that's like just Mm. throwing a dartboard going... Yeah, let's have new documentaries about Hitler. Yeah, you know, it's like just random. But but the thing is, throwing throwing at a dartboard with uh, with different program ideas on it mm-hmm. is a show on Channel Five. <laughs> as long as it's topless. Oh yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's topless, but it's all men. It's weird. It's it's weird. They do actually do a lot of doc- documentaries of Hitler. Channel Five for some weird reason. It's it's topless programs. <laughs> Aussie soaps and documentaries about Hitler. Well, it's... You know what? I, I think documentaries about Hitler just rate really well. The History Channel... Channel is, 7 played one the other day. I, for one, was shocked. Because that's surely what SBS is for. Yeah, Documentaries yeah. about Hitler. <laughs> you know. It's yeah. like, if Channel 7's going to start playing them, what, what's going to happen next? Yeah. It's, mm. you know, Ch- Channel 7, they shouldn't, they shouldn't be getting into that. No. no. Unless it's something sensational, like uh, Hitler's body found in Brazil... And then they have a whole recreation of some exhumation of, uh, of, of a body in Brazil. Well, Hitler's getaways. You know, places you might want to go if you were Hitler. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep it light. Keep it frothy. That's nice. I, I do like, a, uh, I, I do like a, a holiday program. Brett, how about you? I love a holiday program. And um, luckily, we still have the great outdoors, uh, but not for much longer, apparently. Hang, hang on, to- hang on. <laughs> do, hang we, on. Uh, do we still have the great outdoors? We still have the great outdoors. We still have the great is, outdoors. Is Ernie Dingo still doing it? Uh, I believe so. Is that random Dado still doing it? Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Faux Dado. You don't even know his name, do you? It's just it's just a Dado. Except it's, uh, it's Andrew. I think it's Andrew. Is it? I think so. According to reports today, uh, not from now. Uh, they won't be recording any more episodes, but they do have some in the can that uh, they'll be trailing out through its uh, its slow demise. Do you still watch The Great Outdoors? Email us, hooray at boxcutters.net. Let us know or text I'm us. I'm not even sure when it's on. on no, neither Do you host on. The Great Outdoors? <laughs> Email us. Hooray at boxcutters.net or text us at 0458-CUTTER. And that is the Box Cutters News. Hi, I'm Adam Zouar. You might recognise my voice from ads for Ford, Australia Post and HBA. Or maybe from the phone calls I make to your house late at night. That's right. I make phone calls to your house late at night. I'm Adam Zouar, and you're listening to Box Cutters. And joining us in the Box Cutters studio, so exciting to have this guest in. Guys, can I, can I get your, uh, hey yeah, on that? Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's, that's, the sort of, that's the sort of excitement I'm expecting, John. Yeah, you know, Me- Melbourne enthusiasm. Cropley, yeah. Cropley's bringing it. Anyway. Anyway. Deputy Director of the Victorian Institute of Forensic Medicine and Head of the Forensic Pathology Division. What does this have to do with television? Well, he has also consulted on shows including State Coroner, Halifax FP, Blue Healers, City Homicide, a, a, number, of, uh, a, a number of films. He also cuts up over 400 bodies a year. So we couldn't say no. We spend a lot of time watching television. And with that, I'd like to welcome to the Box Cutters microphone, Dr. David Ranson. Hi. Good to see you. Thanks very much for, for coming in. That's great. It's been interesting uh, to find out what goes on in the real world of TV. Well, well uh, at least TV critics. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it. There's not much to look at, really. The, uh, the world of 
forensic pathology. What is that? I mean, we're, we're medical practitioners, basically, and we examine the dead uh, to help find out why they died, the circumstances of their death, um, and to deal with issues such as, you know, uh, trying to identify um, causes of death that can be prevented, and also to provide the evidence required in court, in criminal cases, in homicides, murders, uh, so on. Generally, I'm assuming you only cut up bodies when there's a, there's a question mark over them, is that right, that there's a... The cases that we deal with are cases that have been referred to the coroner. So the coroner is a, a, a judge, a magistrate, a, a lawyer who is in charge of the legal investigation of these cases. And there are certain types of deaths that have to be reported by law to a coroner. And most of these deaths are reported by doctors or by police. So if someone's, some unknown body is found somewhere, you don't know how or why they died, that case goes to the coroner. Obviously, if it's a, a suspicious case, a homicide or something, it goes to the coroner. But a wide range of other cases go to the coroner. So suicides, motor vehicle accidents, just people who've died in hospitals perhaps after surgery or someone who's died in police custody or in prison. Automatically, whatever the cause of death, those cases go to the coroner. Really, so there's an outside external um, view and in, investigation of what's gone on. So in, in, in a situation like that, uh, just to, to clarify what you do, you... Uh you do an autopsy on, on the body. You work out a cause of death. Yeah, that's right. What and, you, and you pass that on to the coroner that's right, who then exactly. makes it up. Yeah, well, <laughs> what happens effectively is we work out what we call a medical cause of death. Yes. And the coroner will, by and large, on those medical issues, adopt what we say. But they may hear other medical evidence from other people as, as well. And then they'll put together the whole of the investigation features from the police and other forensic science people and ourselves. Oh, so and they'll, they'll also come have together. interviews and... Well, there may uh, be a court hearing, an inquest, for right. example, where they hear from a lot of other people as well about various circumstances surrounding the death. So coroners, for example, may not be particularly interested in the medical cause of death. They may be more interested in what's happened on the road or road signage or safe road practices or safe bridges or safe level crossings, that sort of thing. Can I just say this is like a really weird job? I mean, this is a strange thing to do, isn't it? I, I suppose it is. I mean, it's, it's a, an interesting job in the sense that you're actually working with a wide variety of people that an ordinary doctor would never get to work with. But they're all uh, dead, aren't they? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, we get to work with, with police in different situations. <laughs> we get to work with forensic scientists. We get to work with a whole range of barristers and lawyers and, um, you know, judges. It's a, it's a very different environment to the environment. And, of course, from my point of view, I get to be involved with writers and, and researchers for TV shows <laughs> and film people and, and yourselves. And so that in itself has its, uh, you know, richness and sort of interesting diversity <laughs> so to it. there's great You're social opportunities. Around here, yeah. In forensic pathology, it's a good way of meeting people. Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, talk, but they're a good way to meet them. <laughs> easing us into the into the television way. I, I don't know if you've seen much uh, CSI, CSI Miami. Uh, I've seen uh, some of them, yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, the, there's a woman who does, I think it's in CSI Miami, she does the uh, autopsies mm. and she speaks to the dead bodies. And yeah. she, uh, and, it happens and, in NCIS a bit as well, yeah, I think. And, yeah. and, and it, it seems like... Uh, such an unnatural, unrealistic mm. thing to do. Have you come across people doing that? No. It's interesting. In, in the real world, I don't think that happens, uh, at least not in my experience. Um, but it's, it's a good example of, in a sense, the community has almost been attuned to think that pathologists will do that, uh, you know, in some way that they will have some sort of relationship with a deceased person, if you mind those sort of terms. I mean, and in a sense, it's, you don't really have that... Um, sort of relationship of discussion with the deceased person. It's with their families. 
uh, that you have that discussion, or it's with a police officer investigating that particular case. And you may well say to them, oh, so that's really sad, isn't it, how this happened and this happened. You're not talking to the body about that. You're talking to the police officer. You're talking about to the, to the family. Uh, those are the people you have the relationship with, effectively. Can I also, it says here that you, you personally do 400 autopsies mm-hmm. a year. Is that, is that right? Yeah, look, I mean, I would do um, a range of cases. It probably works out at somewhere around uh, 300 or so cases. Then I'll have a number, number of other cases I deal with where I don't actually do dissection, but I examine the person. We do CT scans um, on every case uh, uh, that we're investigating. Uh, and so we review all those. We're reviewing the documentation. And so we might well come to a conclusion as a right report without an internal dissection. Mm-hmm. And increasingly, that's happening. Can I also ask, in the TV shows, it's, you usually only ever see a single person doing an autopsy. It's usually one person, again, that relationship with mm, the body, they're yeah. there in the room. One, one person and a, and a microphone hanging up yeah. from the, yeah. uh, from well, the ceiling. Is there any basis of reality <laughs> That's in interesting. That I mean, normally there is a technical assistant um, helping you, and they're really, and they're good science graduates usually. They're, they're excellent people. And you see that in some shows. They show the, the mortuary technician, although um, sometimes they're, they're sort of played down or played as a slightly jokey role of the foil for the clever pathologist. Um, uh, but in fact, they're critical to making the whole thing work um, and to allowing you to actually sort of do the, the medical job. Um, so that's true. Microphones don't really work. We, we, but that's because the environment doing an autopsy is actually quite noisy. You've got instruments and trays and, and if you've got someone um, uh, trying to transcribe from a microphone hanging from the ceiling, at any time somebody starts up a, you know, a saw that's used to cut bone or something like that and it, you know, it, they're just the noise is there, they miss words, it doesn't work like that. So what we do is intermittent sort of dictation. We have uh, dictating machines, we do digital dictation these days and um, what we'll do is we'll... Uh, um, at the beginning, we'll, we'll dictate around the case. We'll look at various things in the body, in the eyes and the ears and the nose and so on, dictate all our findings. Then we'll stop, put the machine down. We'll then do our internal dissection of the body. And then at the end of all that, we'll make notes on you know whiteboard or whatever. And then we'll pick up the dictaphone with everything there. You then dictate all your findings at that point. So it's sort of intermittent. And that way you can be assured that you're, you're controlling for background noise and turning it off if somebody, you know, drops a tray of stuff or repeating a little bit, you know, um, you know instruments and make a, a terrible noise and, and things like that when people put them on steel surfaces. Um, and so, that, you know, that's just, it just, it's just practical, really. With, uh, so so you, take, you take all of that knowledge and then uh, I'm guessing when they're writing an episode of uh, of State Coroner, although that's mm. never now, mm. but uh, when, when they were writing an episode yeah. of State Coroner or, or now you've uh, done some work on, on City Homicide, yeah. do you, you sit in the room with the writers when they're tossing around well, stories I d- and I ideas? Did with, um, I did with uh, um, State Coroner. We would actually um, go along to the um, the studio and, and, and the production team offices and we would sit down around the table. They'd have an idea for a story structure and you'd throw in ideas about how the medical side or the science side fitted in with that or how the coroner's process would work in relation to that. And you'd help with um, ideas within the story frame. So someone's saying, well, we're going to have to get from this point to this point, you know, what's a way of doing that that's, that's, that's you know, going to be right? Um, but, of course, it's no good just giving people the, book, the, the sort of 
the clear scientific facts because you know often that's quite boring you've got to do it in a way that remain maintains the interest or the entertainment value and adds a dimension to the storyline because you've always got you know theme story a b and b and c running um and c may be character development and and then there's the main theme story theme a and then you've got a series of perhaps one or two theme b stories running and it's always nice if you in giving your scientific advice you can help in some way knitting those together so, so quite- something that's happening in theme b might actually impinge on something in uh in the story a so it's much more creative creative process than, than them just sending you a script and saying, is this the correct procedure? Well, that to- was the case for when I was working on that because we did a lot of work with the producers there well before the series even got to the stage of getting funding and so on and ideas and, and the, you know, we were interviewed by the, the writer producers uh, and uh, Michael Harvey and David Taft and, and that was um, a very dynamic process um and they came we you know we talked about different story ideas and they had you know ideas and what would happen in this and what happened in the real world they were finding out about our world and then when it came to the um uh, filming part of that um and the episodes being filmed we actually got all the actors in and we gave talks to all the actors about what we do so they were actually if you like worded up and had an understanding of what sort of people we were and so they met the real life equivalent of what they were doing and had a chance to talk with them and then when they were filming Filming for certainly some of the episodes, I would go into the studio and I'd actually help you know the actor hold the instruments the right way. Um, I remember you know on occasions we helped the arts department you know fake up uh, you know a brain and a tray which was going to be weighed and and I had to you know they couldn't get hold of you know brains obviously so uh, they went to the butchers and got some sheep brains and I had to try and help the arts department make you know, three or four sheep brains look like one human brain and a tray. <laughs> so you know there's a, there's an element sometimes of, of that practicality. Um, um, and on the other hand, it had to be convincing, so I had to go and look at it and say, "Yeah, that's, yeah, that's not too bad," you know. And, and uh, um, so there's all different elements, if you like, you can become involved with. I mean, I was probably more extensively involved in that than in than other things. Sometimes I just get a, a phone call from a researcher who said that we're doing this episode. The story problem we've got is this, this, and this. What's the drug that would explain that, or what type of injury, or is there another way in which this could happen to give us a red herring? In something like that and so um the 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 important thing is there to maintain that sort of um the the keep that the dynamism of the story keep the entertainment structure of the story going rather than just giving them boring scientific facts you obviously i mean have have an interest in television as well it's not just for you you know showing up to tick things off a box you obviously get quite involved in these oh i think once you get involved i think the important thing is to be aware of what goes on in the whole making of a of um, a, D- a TV episode, if you like, it's it's and it, what goes on into a series, um, because it's more than just the the little bit of scientific thing you're doing. You can't extract that. It has to be part of the various different storylines that are going on. It has to be part of the character development. It has to be part of where the series is going. Um, and um, you know, I think if you do it in that particular way. Um, then you're able to give real value. So when you watch shows, and I'm thinking probably uh, overseas shows now, in particularly in the American ones, what what are the sort of things they do? That, that, what annoys you as a forensic pathologist well, when you're sitting at home? What what makes you shout? Oh, that's not right. Well, I think couch. a lot of the scientific stuff they get right because they get they get advice. So I mean, you know, if it's mm. going to be a, a bullet pulled out of a wall somewhere, you know, or something like that, or pulled out of a body. Then you know they're going to get most of those technical things right. A lot of the things that um, that I think are 
a challenging in Australia and perhaps in Europe is the fact that the US systems are very different. I mean, they don't have one system of medical legal death investigation like we do with a coroner system where we have legal coroners and medical pathologists doing the medical work for them. In the US, you've got about seven or eight different medical legal systems. Sometimes the coroner is a doctor. Sometimes the coroner is a, is the, is a local carpenter, is an elected politician, essentially. Um, other situations, you have medical examiner systems where they are really the pathologist and a sort of coroner at the same time, but they don't hold the legal inquests. So there's lots of different systems. So you find, um, I suppose the biggest thing is this relationship with the, with the police in the shows, which is often incredibly close and since they're almost the same you know the police person the, and and the, the the medical person is almost indistinguishable in in, in some shows and uh, whereas in the real world it's it's very it's very separate and most tv shows tend to sort of do sort of three major problem things as to the real world um they they condense things so what's done by about 15 or 16 20 people in the real world has to be done by three or four or five people so that's why on csi you see the person doing the ballistics is also doing chemistry another day and they're going crime scene here and they're helping doing an autopsy there whereas in fact those are completely separate roles and would be dealt with by completely different people have you also noticed in csi they have the worst lit laboratories <laughs> I've ever seen Actually, in my so life. I was going to ask but you, they look sexy. Laboratories are, are so sexy in American yeah. shows. I'm presuming they, that's not well, got any... Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they also have these sort of open plan laboratories where <laughs> every, every, you can look through about five windows and see someone doing an autopsy sort of, you know, 20 feet away. And behind you is the, is the um, you know, the microscope used for looking at the bullets and, and things like this. And um, the real world, of course, is a lot of these things are in separate buildings, let alone the, the same office level um, and um, certainly uh, there's a much higher degree of security of people going from room to room in most laboratory systems than you'd see in these shows they seem to wander in or out where well, we'd have key card locks and whereas you know every time you go through the door you're logged in and out and it's recorded so that transparency for legal transparency of who's gone where and who's been in what room is something we we focus on but they seem to ignore that in most tv shows would to be i also be quite shocked if i'm expecting you know um Stainless steel and, and blue down lights and stuff. Would, would I walk into yours and find that it's all plastic cups and... and no, no, there's a, there's a lot of stainless steel. I mean, uh, it, is an area, it is something that's a, it's good uh, from the point of view of keeping things clean and, and, and so on. And you want something... Easy to hose down. Easy, hose well, down. There, there's an element of that. I mean, porcelain, you know, the old, the old things you see in some of the older films with there's still plenty of old um, porcelain operating tables and, and environments around. But um, they do, uh, they have a sort of infection risks and things like that. So, you know, stainless steel is the, the better way to go, probably. So um, you were saying uh, condensing a number of people down, but presumably also time is the yeah, other... Yeah, and the other thing is, of course, that results come back, um, uh, you know, in the next two or three minutes um, or after the ad break. And I think ad breaks are often carefully constructed to give this sort of uh, an opportunity for time to pass. Um, and, um, and then they're slotted in for dramatic effects sometimes in, in, in certain shows. So that adds to that ambiguity about time, um, but certainly results come back very quickly. Um, and the other thing is the geographical thing, as I mentioned before, you know, things that all sort of happen in the one space, in the one laboratory, in the one area. So the autopsy room is, you know, two glass doors away from something else, whereas, in fact, the, you know, the autopsies are usually in, in some, some states are in a hospital and the police forensic lab is somewhere else. Um, and the homicide offices are somewhere else again. So it depends on the, on the, on the area. D- David, are there ever 
tiny specific things that just rub you the wrong way. Because if I can nerd it up for a little bit, (laughs) one of my bugbears, and they do this on CSI all the time, but I've seen them do it on other shows as well, is they never balance their centrifuge. (laughs) And and it drives me nuts. That is the nerdiest thing that has ever been said on this show. I feel so vindicated for talking about Dr. 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 Galactica. And I just love balancing centrifuges. No, no, I mean... uh, But, you know, when I was was doing science, that was... If you didn't balance your centrifuge, you had to buy the school a new one. Like that, was, that was pretty much it. And, uh, and and they never do it on television. Is there anything like that that just yeah. just makes you cringe when you see it? Very occasionally you see someone do something like use the wrong in- instrument. Like someone pulls out a, a bullet from a body with a, with a, a metal tweezers or metal forceps. Well, like, you'd never do that because you, you don't want to mark the metal with another metal object. You'd, you'd use, your, your, use your fingers or you'd use a nylon... Uh, special nine on forceps which will not scratch the object Never so the little teeth. things like that <laughs> you know little things like that where it just you know it, it just oh you'd never do that you know and um so there the, there are a few things like that are there more bits of kit because we've talked about bones in the past mm. bones has a 3d holographic projector yes. in it <laughs> gee i'd love one of those <laughs> which yeah as i think it's gone completely beyond any kind now, of yeah real bit of technology it's just no, a bit now, of science fiction no, technology clearly we wouldn't have one of those in victoria but new south wales, <laughs> new south have wales one. would have one but is there anything like that where you just want well, to go i, mean, I don't actually, even know what that interestingly, is interestingly what we, we do some things in victoria which are not really uh, yet done generally around Australia and certainly not in many other places in the world that is um, we for example do full body CT examination so in one sense yes I can throw up on a computer screen a 3D representation of the body um, because all our cases get a full CT scan so I, I, there are certain elements of that I can do but not in not in a three dimensional um, lovely sort of um, uh, laser whatever it's supposed to be bones I have no idea what that is but, but are there other things as well you've seen on air that you go like I'm talking about the, the, the hard, oh, hardware well, of it I mean, the other thing I suppose that used to get me on CSI particularly was, that, I suppose, that the, the 3D run-throughs. You know, if someone gets shots, there's this sort of, there's the camera that seems to follow the bullet track through the body. I mean, I suppose that would be quite fun to be able to do that in the real world, but um, certainly be very dramatic to a jury, but I think a judge would probably throw out the evidence. Um, but, you know, there are things like that that um, I think you just look at and say, well, yes, you know, it, it, that's part of what I call the entertainment. That's what grabs the audience. That's that, the audience grab, basically. That's, that's actually what they sold the series based on. <laughs> is they, no, seriously, yeah. they, they, had, uh, yeah. they, they had an example of that. Mm. Uh, oh, really? And they went, this is the effect we're going to use yeah. for every single thing that we talk about. And the executives just went, that's the coolest thing we've ever seen. <laughs> and, of course, one of the effects of that, I'm not sure that it's uh, so much in Australia, but definitely in the States, that it's been reported that uh, juries are now mm. expecting that kind that's of demonstration right. yeah. of what's going on and because I think that's of one what of the, they're watching on TV. That's right, and that's one of the problems that we do face. There is this so-called CSI effect that's talked about. I mean, how real it is, I'm not sure, but I think there certainly is an, an element. Nowadays, when I go into court, and you know, I used to be able to say, oh, like I'm a forensic pathologist, and probably people had a rough idea that I'd do autopsies and find out a cause of death and things like that. But, but now I have to say, well, I'm a forensic pathologist. That means I just go to the scene, look at the body, and then I do an autopsy. I don't interrogate suspects. I don't carry a gun. I don't go out and charge people. I don't put people under the third degree in a question session. Um, I don't do the chemical analysis. I don't do the bullet analysis. I do an autopsy. And actually, I don't need a lot of fancy equipment. I need the ordinary surgeon's equipment that you'd use. Uh, I don't need fancy laser devices and things like that. I need a scalpel. I need forceps. I need some operating scissors. I need the sorts of things that a surgeon would be using. I don't need... 
um, all this whiz bang stuff. But but do you ever take your glasses off and then put them back on to make a point? <laughs> <laughs> I took my glass off. I want to see what's going on. <laughs> it depends if you want to look impressive or not. I suppose if you take them off and chew the um, the earpiece or uh, something like that, you know, and and look thoughtful and wistful in the distance, perhaps someone would believe me. Uh, I just I, lastly, because we, we're running out of time, we're about to lose the satellite feed. Uh, but the uh, Dexter, I think, is is one of the most. Uh, realistic portrayals of what a lab is like. I don't know if you've seen much of Dexter, but... I've seen a couple of bits, but I haven't really looked at the program a lot. Because his lab is quite mm. cramped. Mm. Uh, he doesn't have very much desk space. He, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, that's, there's a lot yeah. of white laminex, yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, but it, the blood spatter analysis, that... Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of seems with all the strings and, and tiny Yeah, see, that's another example of the situation where real world, perhaps, and, and the um, technical world as displayed on TV is a little different in the sense that, yes, you can do that really clever analysis about blood spatter. And there are forensic biologists who specialise in that and they do training courses on it and they are you know accredited to look at these things. I mean, I've been looking at blood spatter in a practical, real-world application every day for 25 years. And, and that's just me working with blood in an autopsy setting. I have general experience of exactly what things look like. And I've been to you know, a fair few scenes. I don't do that clever sort of mathematical analysis. So from that point of view, I'm not an expert in blood spatter. But when it comes to generally understanding what you know, high velocity, medium velocity, what it can look like, what it looks like in the real practical world, then I've got as much experience, probably more experience than, than most people who are doing that mathematical analysis. So there are different elements to the experience and the knowledge base. Do, do you also get consulted on, uh, on special effects? So, uh, so if, if someone's being shot uh, and, and they've got a blood pack that that needs to go off the the direction that the blood pack needs to go off in or or anything like that or or, i haven't really had that sort of uh, a query i've certainly had queries of saying well what would we see for example this person's been shot this person's been burnt and the arts department comes to say well this is the sort of thing we're using this is the makeup we want to use this is what we want it to this is what we think it's going to look like or have you got a photograph that would help us understand and I can usually find textbook photographs that show the sorts of things they want to display, and then they can use that. Or I can look at the, their mock-up of um, um, a piece of makeup. Or a, um, quite often they'll use those sort of, um, you know, um, plasticized uh, foam sort of um, body um, suits almost to show an injured area. And they'll mock that up and show it to you. And say, does that look realistic? Or what do we need to change to make it look more realistic? So yes, in that sense, but uh, not so much the special effects side. Can I just ask back in the, in the real world then? Is is every dead body like a, a mystery you get to solve, or in fact, is is it pretty obvious most of the time your, Look, your job? In most of the, most cases we deal with, um, and probably in fact most of the um, homicide cases we deal with, it is fairly straightforward in terms of what the cause of death is. There are a few cases which are really confusing, and, and you wait till the end of the autopsy, you say, "Ah, oh, now it all makes sense." Um, there are cases like that, but they're probably few and far between. If someone's been stabbed, the chances are they've been stabbed in a vital area, and that's what's caused them to die. And same with a shooting and, and, and so on. The most interesting pathology cases, actually, are the ones where a person's sort of being found dead where there's no information, no knowledge. Um, and sometimes it's the complicated medical stories, they're, they're almost the house-type uh, stories, if you know what I mean, trying to work out what really went on. They're, in fact, more of a challenge pathologically than I would say the, 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 the traumatic homicide-type casework. So I think the, probably the most complicated cases and difficult and interesting ones we deal with are those hospital um, deaths that have occurred in a setting where 
where complex treatments being provided or unusual diseases are involved. And, uh, and then it's just the, the cleaning woman taking out the uh, life support system <laughs> to plug in the, the vacuum As cleaner. As in the old story, yes. Ah, uh, yes. Dr. David Ranson, thank you so much for joining us on, on Box Cutters. It's been fascinating. It's been a pleasure. We'd love to have you back to, uh, to talk more nerd science stuff. I think, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I could Lush talk about... don't ask me how to balance a, a centrifuge. A centrifuge. Really, it's uh, very uh, easy. That was going to be the challenge. We're going to get you back on to balance a centrifuge <laughs> <laughs> live. Thanks so much, Okay. David. Good evening, viewers. This is Sandra Sultry. I've been playing with my box on the box cutters. Leverage is a program about five criminal masterminds. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, five specialists in their field. Uh, four of them are criminals. One was a uh, an insurance investigator. Uh, a very, very clever man played by Timothy Hutton who was also uh, captured by the FBI for selling secrets to Russia and fell in love with an eight-year-old girl when he visited home for a weekend. That, that's not in this, though. That was just in oh. real life. Oh, right, right, right. I, uh, I, I get mixed up. Also, his brother was a fireman. No, and, not, not in this. No? No. Oh, I get very confused. Anyway, Timothy Hutton plays Nathan Ford, who was an insurance investigator and worked for an insurance company until... His son was uh, was killed, and uh, the insurance company failed to pay out, and he's kind of down and out, and uh, and a, a little bit uh, worse for wear. Bitter, yeah, I'd say he's bitter. Mm-hmm. And then he's approached by a gentleman who uh, gives him the opportunity to make it all right by ripping off the insurance company. He puts together a crack team of four other criminals who are all experts in their field. They're uh, acrobatics and... Uh, and uh, internet specialists. Internet specialists and, uh, and uh, an, an actress. And uh, also... Uh, oh, Christian Kane plays... Christian Kane, who you may remember from uh, Angel. He was excellent in Angel. Uh, he in Angel? Yeah. He worked for Wolfram and Hart. Don't remember. He had his arm chopped off. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he... Uh, he he plays a long-haired close combat specialist. It's uh, I, I have to say, I find this show quite amusing. I, it's I, it's essentially it's essentially Mission Impossible. I mean, it's, mm. it, when you break it down. See, I, I, it's funny because I, I disagree slightly with that. There's a, a couple of reactions I had when I first started watching it. One was I went, "Oh, this must be the American remake of Hustle." I didn't know they were doing that. The BBC show. I thought, okay, and fair it, enough. It, it has through its uh, through its soundtrack a, a very similar feel to Hustle. It does, and a very and it's yeah, con, con people often out conning others. And then I read, read you know, a bit more. Found it's not a remake of Hustle. It's just completely coincidental that it appears to be a remake of Hustle. But what I, um, I think it is more so the Mission Impossible is actually the A-Team. It reminds me very much of the A-Team. Because wherever you are, whoever you need... Cause they come and help. Yeah. They turn into a Robin Hood kind of scenario. So, where yeah, if you, take the, if you take a hustle and you take out the slight sort of smug horribleness to that program and you actually have them ripping off people for... Because in the very first episode, they basically become filthy rich. So, which I thought was a great little premise because then after that, they don't need money. Yeah. You know, they've got enough. But they just do these things to help people out. And, and that's effectively the A-Team. Yeah, it is. So it's, but but it is a, a mixture. Oh, I suppose Face uh, often did you know kind of the acting role 
Uh, yeah, are, it's got a similar sort of... They each have their specialties. Uh, Timothy Hutton uh, likes to drink milk. It was curious because in the first of 10 minutes, I Doesn't did... Does a reference. I did want to punch this show in the face. Um, just the first 10 minutes because it, it tries so hard at the beginning. You're going, oh, you're trying to be Elmore Leonard. You're trying to be Steven Sonderberg. You're trying to be a hustler. To... But then after it calmed down a bit, actually, I, I, yes, I really warmed to this. And it's, it's a little bit charming. It and, is then, a... and then just kind of sailed plainly away from... The first ten minutes of the first episode because I, I quite enjoyed the first episode. Oh, okay, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed the. I mean, I enjoyed the first episode. It was just that but beginning. I think we were trying so hard to kind of. The end of the second episode actually made me nauseous. Uh, now is that? Oh, there, there was a very mawkish with, with the, the the corporal in the wheelchair. This is this is curious because the second episode is that they go to um, help. The weird thing about the second episode, because yeah, it, this show is so old fashioned and it's really sort of 70s, 80s style, kind of prime time, you know, um, it's plot driven, which I personally love plot driven television. And every time they tried to do a, a character arc, I go, really, you know, we're not convinced. We're not, you know, don't try and do that. You're not good at that. Do the plot. But that, that second episode is really odd because it's actually quite a controversial plot if you stop and think about it. It's about some uh, soldiers in the current Iraq war. Who've possibly been shot up by a company who has dodgy dealings? Contractors, you know, contractors right. like Halliburton, yeah, who who have dodgy dealings with the government of the day. Like, it's actually an incredibly controversial oh, yeah. plot if you stop and think about it. But it's done in this slightly mawkish kind of gee wizardry kind of way. That the end is, and I wondered if the end was was played up a bit too much in order to try and not make you think people down. Yeah, so you don't think too much about what the show's actually talking about for the rest of it because it's also about the current. Gulf War, uh, so current Iraq War, sorry, Iraq War, and that's going to be interesting to see something that's still going on is so, you know, newsworthy in a quite disposable sort of, you know, family-friendly kind of show. Now, can I, can I play you the bit that actually makes me sick? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah go ahead. Yeah. Uh, it was stolen? Not anymore. What are we supposed to do with it? Pay for Corporal Perry's rehab. And some other guys' rehabs. Pretty much whatever you want. Doc. A cute blonde shows up with a couple million dollars. I say we take the win. Thank you. Corporal. Thank you. Thank you. Which is all. It's about supporting the troops, and the troops the are good. The war doesn't work this way. The war's bad. So change the world. Yeah, no, I'm actually, yeah, it is a I'd, terrible, terrible end of an episode. Yeah, I'd, I'd actually refreshed that. <laughs> it is funny, though, because the, the second episode is so obviously kind of a second pilot as well. Like, the first episode is, is totally self-contained. The second episode they introduce, you know, these are the sets we'll be using for the season and blah, blah, yeah, yeah. Uh, It's almost like that end is to try and justify, because they all then sit against a car going, look at all the good we've brought to the world. And, and then does, so, so if anybody wants to walk away, you can do it now. Yeah, and yeah. I, th- I think it's there to try and justify the purpose. Yeah, yeah it's a terrible scene and I mean it's interesting about this show because it does have occasional terrible moments in it where you it, go oh that's clumsy and that's yeah yeah Even the it f- does this you know episode 3 I think it is where uh, uh, episode 3 is fighting for the, the Catholic the priest oh, no, no no 4 is 4 the, is the Catholic priest the church. 3 is uh, th- 3 is the horse oh no no four- Four is the one I'm thinking of, though, with the uh, with the the uh, developer. There's a, a building developer who is essentially that character from South Park who continually <laughs> says, "I am above the law." Yeah. <laughs> this is the funny thing because when watched, yeah, when, when it knows it's being a bit trashy, and it does know that often, it's great. And when it's plot driven, the plots are really clever. I think the plots are really nice because a lot of them are 
taking cons we all know about and then at the end going, ah, but there's a double con that you didn't kind of... And the plots all make sense, which I really like. They all fit together quite well. Yes. You know, and you go, that's quite clever. There aren't really many holes in them. No. Or if there were, Brett would have found them. But but oddly enough, it is that bit where they try and push the emotion. You go, really? You're you're not an emotional show. (laughs) Don't try and do this. No, don't. Even the stuff involving um, Timothy Hutton's kid, which just I don't care about. I don't think the show cares about. And every so often it kind of bubbles to the surface. Go, oh yeah, your mm. son, oh. hospitals. Something. Oh, that's 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 right. That's uh, that, that's your motivation. I can say my absolute favourite thing though is Gina Bellman, who's an English actress, plays a character called Sophie Devereaux. She, she, she was, was in, in the Kaplan. excellent in the excellent Jekyll. She was she was in. That's funny. I saw in that other version of Jekyll that wasn't very good. <laughs> um, <laughs> we I loved have to, it. I, loved I think it was an excellent script. Very Steve poorly realised. Um, but she, and in Chekhov, I thought she played the world's most boring character. She was this complete wet oh, lump of a person. Uh, her, her character was was ridiculous because her whole job was to just be the woman so beautiful that she could tame Mr. Hyde. Yeah, she was very, very boring. In this, she is fantastic. She plays this art, art thief slash actress. And what I really like is that she's a con woman and art thief who's got millions of dollars, but she still wants to be an actress. But she's actually a really, really, really bad actress, which is such a great concept. And we, we get this hammered at home at various points. But we've got a little clip here. This is from episode two. two? Episode two, she's in Hollywood doing an audition. And this is just from the beginning Why? of the show. Why? I can't live like this anymore. The lies and the filth. No! Help me! I just... I want to be clean! I want to be clean! Yeah. You understand this is a soap commercial, right? Uh-huh. Well, when I thought about Peggy, I came up with this idea that the dirt was really this giant, like, metaphor for sin. You should take that. No, no, you should take that. Hello? When? Peggy killed her first husband. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Gina Feldman has also been in uh, Coupling and uh, Jonathan Creek, various other things. Um, So she does the comedy exceptionally well. I think she's really... Was she the the replacement sidekick in Jonathan Creek? I don't think she was, no, but I'm not sure. I, I don't. Right. F- there, were, there were a few of them over the course of it, yeah. wasn't it? So, um, but what I was curious is, she's actually from New Zealand originally, born in New Zealand. They went to to England later on, and um, she was in Grange Hill in the day Was who was she in Grange Hill? I don't know. It just says here uh, two episodes stint in Grange Hill. But what I thought was interesting is that um, part of her character is she has to do different accents. And after you know us watching Eureka and not being able to work out who the hell Matt threw up, like what country <laughs> he was meant to be from. In this one, she does a quite passable South African accent. You know, yep. it's pretty good. A pretty she, good New Zealand she accent. She has a really good New Zealand accent, a quite hilarious and good New Zealand accent. And yet, every time she tries to do an American accent, they're pretty bad. She yeah, just yeah. can't do American her, accents. Her southern, her southern Belle in the horse racing episode, she has to do a Southern Belle. It's not good. It's not good at she all. She also has to do a kind of angry Jewish housewife in, in one of the other episodes briefly. And again, can't pull that one off either. And I thought it was just kind of nice to see someone not being able to do American accents for a change. It was quite, it was quite a pleasing thing to see. Oh, she was also in uh, Black Eyes, which I think was that Dennis Potter uh, show, and uh, she played Trudy in Grange Hill. I so yeah, I mean, look, for me, the show's worth watching just for her. I, I saw a reference online. Someone said it's like a basic cable program you'd watch if nothing else is on. But we live in a world in which, you know, we all have access to so much other better stuff. But 
I think there's a place for brain-dead kind of it's, plot-driven telly myself. It's, you know? just, it's just fun, light entertainment. And this is, this is the thing. Television doesn't have to be Deadwood or The Shield every single time. Sometimes it can be pantomime. And I think that's, that's what leverage is. Well, that's what I think is funny because in leverage you can see where yeah, they do try and put the, the, the character arcs in and, and yeah, raise the stakes and all the stuff that we've, we've talked about. You know, everyone gets forced to do. And it just, it just doesn't fit in this show. You know, no. The, the show's not bad. It's just that there are different types of television. And this is... This is a lovely kind of snack TV, isn't it? And uh, and Leverage is starting on Foxtel, on Fox 8, I believe, this Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't quote me on that. Check your local guides, of course. Or So they're fast-tracking it over to uh, Foxtel? Yes. Or, uh, well, not really fast-tracking. It's, it's like seven or eight weeks late. But well, that's, you know, that's mid-tracking. Yeah, it's, that's enough. I'll, uh, I'll fast-tracking for the ABC. I'll yeah. actually have yeah. that information for you in pork. Hi, I'm really lucky to be the guest of these funny, gorgeous, sexy, hunky men. This is Jane Badler. You're listening to Box Cutters. Now, we thought we'd do... There is so much production news on at the moment. We thought we'd do a, a little discussion of everything that's going on. So, John, do you want to get started? Get this ball rolling? Do you want? Do you want to have your mic on? Oh, that would be nice if I could. Sorry about that. I could just project. You know, I'm used to you being on three. I guess telepathically, so, people at home can just hear me. Strike one, Cropley. <laughs> start with a, a couple of. Um, let's have a couple of these uh, things going to to the big screen, or possibly, which is kind of interesting. There's um, been talk that pushing daisies, uh, a show which I think you boys are, are quite keen on. Was it, I, 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 I I like it. Again, it's it's light hearted. Uh, very uh, stylistic, looks like someone's really just uh, kind of got smothered by a whole lot of Tim Burton films. <laughs> it's the daytime uh, Edward Scissorhands. It, it is yeah. the daytime Edward Scissorhands. I think it's a, it's a, it's a fun uh, little murder mystery, uh, a fun little take on the procedural as I mean, well. It, it did manage to get to a second season, which is more than he managed with Wonderfalls, which was the, the previous show which I absolutely loved. I mean, but there's some talk it, now... It, Wonderfalls didn't even get through a whole season. Oh, 13 episodes. It did have a... It, it no, finished a plot line. It had 13 episodes. Oh, yes, but only they, they didn't show to, all 13. Only 11 went to where, And the same thing is happening with this second season of Pushing Daisies, where there are three episodes to go and the networks just pulled it. Uh, and there's uh, there there is an online campaign. All the characters from Pushing Daisies now have Twitter accounts and are twittering about trying to save Pushing Daisies, which is a weird kind of breaking the third wall. Well, the same <laughs> things happened with uh, Dirty Sexy Money and Eli Stone. They've been they've been telling uh, audiences that they'll have to wait until summer to see the remainder of uh, those cancelled shows. Okay. Well, anyway, there's, there's some talk with Brian Fuller about getting a, a motion picture up. Um, slightly more advanced seems to be that uh, Jericho also possibly has a TV, has a, uh, has a movie in development. Mm-hmm. Um, Jericho was cancelled and resurrected at least once um, when fans of the show uh, constantly sent nuts into the, um, to the network. Yes, that's you right. S- you said that like it makes no sense. Well, 20 tons of nuts. Well, I, I don't know. If I got 20 tons of nuts, I wouldn't bring your show back. I'd go, I-, I may eat the nuts. I may not. There's 20 tons. That's a lot of nuts. But uh, stop sending me your nuts, crazy fans. But yeah, so it, it got brought back after, after that protest. Um, it got a second short season of only seven episodes to try and sort of tie some of it off. But... Um, there is now talk about doing a motion picture. The quote here from producer and director John Turtletab says, um, it would not require you to have seen the TV show, but it would get into life after an event like this on a national scale. It would be the bigger, full-on American version of what's going on beyond the town of Jericho. 
So right. if you're a fan of Jericho, you may have a feature film to come. Well, if you're a fan of uh, Veronica Mars, you might have a feature film to come. Uh, Veronica Mars, creator, uh, who is also the lead singer of Matchbox 5, Robert Thomas. Busy man. It's very busy. I think they're different guys. Mm. I think. I think they're different guys. Uh, yeah, Rob, uh, Rob Thomas uh, has said in an interview with if Magazine Online, this is not the Australian If Magazine, it's a US If Magazine. I was wondering about that. Uh, he's, uh, uh, he said that uh, there, there will be, or he's currently working on a script for a Ver- Veronica Mars film. Uh, uh, should say probably with all these films, they do sound like they're very, very early on. In, very in development, and we, we may you know never see any of them. Very early on, so uh, uh, there's uh, there's still no cast set, uh, and as with the uh, Arrested Development film, I'm sure it's just going to be in development for a very long time. There was also talk this week that uh, there's possibly a Moonlighting reunion film uh, with uh, Bruce Willis and Sybil <laughs> Shepherd re- reprising their roles. Uh, was, was the world crying out so for was, that, I wonder? I was thinking of uh, the vampire movie short-lived from last year. Well, no, that's, that's what it is. Uh, it, it'll, be, it'll, 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 be it'll be Sybil Shepherd and, and uh, yeah, Bruce Willis Bruce playing Willis. vampires who run a detective agency. That's an angel, isn't it? Um, but imagine how much, uh, how much Vaseline they'll have to put on the lens for... Uh, for for Sybil now. Yeah. yeah, they'll have to film through a hessian yeah. like, bag. It was pretty bad it was, back in the it 80s. It was pretty full on. Well, I saw, uh, I, I saw Sybil Shepherd probably about uh, eight or nine years ago, mm. uh, live in Cabaret at the Hilton. Not in, really? In Melbourne. Mm. And uh, yeah, a, a bit of Vaseline would have helped then as well. I'm surprised you're still alive. <laughs> Don't say that! Oh my god, we've just oh, killed Sybil Shepherd. I said, I'm surprised. I didn't mistakenly and, and, and say. Next week, you won't be surprised. Sybil Shepherd has died. Um, more further along in development, there's a bunch of spin offs happening as well. Um, Gossip Girl is. This, I, I, I think this is quite interesting. It seems to be a big thing now for the US is that you make. Um, a pilot as an episode of your TV show, which you're saying has been happening for some time. Yeah, it's not a it's not a new thing. Uh, Brady Bunch did it with a show called Kelly's Kids, mm-hmm. where essentially an entire episode was devoted to uh, this neighbour of the Bradys <laughs> called uh, Kelly, and he had a, a couple of kids, uh, and uh, that didn't last. I don't think that got past the pilot. Because yeah, I remember them spitting off people like yeah, Mork and Mindy from Happy Days and whatever. And, but, uh, but usually it wasn't it wasn't in quite so because they sound quite overt. Where basically it goes in this week's Gossip Girl, we're back back to the eighties to well, have it, a pilot. If you remember uh, back to last week's very messy show, uh, where we were talking about uh, different strokes, and uh, and there was uh, Mr. Drummond had uh, a friend played by uh, what's his name McLean from Mash. Uh, who's one of the uh, one of the colonels in Mash, and uh, he uh, he had two daughters, and they were trying to do a spin off of Different Strokes with those characters as well, and that didn't work. But uh, Facts of Life also appeared in Different Strokes, mm-hmm. pretty much as a, an episode before it went off. So did Melrose Place in Nine Hundred Two One Zero and Models Inc in Melrose Place. Uh, and uh, and now you're saying that Gossip well, Girl... Well, Gossip Girl, uh, the episode will air on May 11th. It's um, tied to flashbacks um, about Lily and her daughter wrestling with a problem. Um, so it's actually in the 1980s, and it focuses on the wild early days of Lily Van Der de Woodson, future mother of the glamorous Serena. I've actually never watched this show, so I'm just saying words down. I don't know what they mean. And, but uh, is this a good LA, idea or a bad in, idea? Not in we? New York. 
Uh, oh, in LA, not in New York. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, young Lily comes from money, but in the series she's forced to move in with her black sheep of a sister and attend public school, a humiliating ordeal that sparks some bad behaviour. How are they? Uh, how's Gossip Girl going to? Uh Going to text everyone the updates. Well, it does say here in, in the 1980s. The network hope that the Gospel Galactics will be hooked by this ancient text message free world, but it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to kind of know at what point. I mean, I guess it's a whole other show. The, the idea is it's just a, it's just a way of, of giving a whole new show the, by the, going. The way that the way that Gossip Girl works uh, is that the plot is essentially driven by updates from the website. So uh, if uh, if there needs to be conflict in one of the scenes one of the characters will uh, check the Gossip Girl website and then go, what is this I read in Gossip Girl about you having sex with my boyfriend? Well, maybe, maybe the idea is just quite cleverly that you go, well, we've got a guaranteed market to watch this pilot. So maybe it's this way of whacking the pilot in front of the audience and then you know, you'll so be- it doesn't have to have anything connected to the to the actual show it's from necessarily. Maybe yeah, there'll be updates on WKRP or something. <laughs> maybe. Tom in the, the, uh- the, the Channel 10 Gossip Chopper. There's also going to be a new series of NCIS. I don't know what that's about, but there's a quote here saying that's definitely happening as a pilot. Um, so the, the new NCIS show will be happening, pilot will be happening as an episode of NCIS. NCIS was actually an episode of JAG originally, and JAG was an episode of Morgan Mindy. So oh, interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting sort of, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah, you can actually follow that one. From Happy back. Days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which, yeah. And Which. also the L Word is getting a spinoff um, for the character of Alice Pez- Piesky. And this one, I have to admit, this may be a spoiler. I don't know. I don't watch the L word, but apparently Alice's character, spoiler, 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 goes to jail, and the spinoff will be set on a community of lesbians in a jail. Um, well, some are lesbians, some aren't lesbians. They're just in jail. Um, Showtime says it's a, uh, Bob Greenblatt says it's a big group of characters, and there's a few lesbians in that, in that group, but it isn't the exact makeup of what the L word was. And he says that it's a female Oz, but not as dark or gritty. Oh yeah, yeah. I've I've heard I've heard about uh, lesbian community jail. Yeah, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's going to be a great show. It's just prisoner though. Isn't it it yeah, sounds like prisoner to me. It, it, LCJ is uh, is what people are going to call it. They're going to just shorten it down to <laughs> LCJ. Uh, in other quick production uh, stories, sit down, shut up. The uh, animated remake by Mitch Hurwitz of the short-lived Australian yeah, sitcom. How is, how is that going? Yeah, that's got an air date. It's uh, it's going to start eight uh, thirty p.m. on April nineteen on Fox. Uh, Rescue Me is uh, going into season five where they are going to look into whether or not uh, the uh, events of September 11th were an American government conspiracy. Uh, And also Michael J. Fox is going to appear in a five-episode arc uh, as an alcoholic paraplegic. (laughs) Rolly was born to Blake. In Rescue Me? Uh, In Rescue Me. Really? Uh, I didn't think it was that hard-hitting. Res- I, I, rescue I, me! Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it's pretty, in that, it's, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty full on. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty full on series, and also I don't particularly like it, but a lot of people do. Uh, Prison Break. Have we talked about Prison Break? No, we haven't. Pris- yeah. Prison Break finally ending. Who cares? Although it is curious because um, their uh, hands bitten off by a seal. Fox Entertainment <laughs> president said, "Creatively, everyone feels enough stories have been told." I felt that after the first season. That's a beautiful phrase, though. I yeah, think that's really lovely. It is. Uh, TNT, uh, who uh, who bring you leverage, have greenlit a Ray Romano series. Oh, God. Uh, who knows uh, what's going on there? Uh, Andre Barra is uh, is going to appear in it, as is Scott Bakula. Scott and- Bakula! <laughs> Sorry, I, just, I just love his name. Scott Any Bacula. opportunity to say that name out there. Uh, and it's focused on three 40-something college buddies who are each coming to terms with a midlife that doesn't live up to their previous expectations. Whew. 
Yeah, I can't wait for that one. I've got, uh, I got one more here. The BBC are remaking the Fall and Rise of Reginald Perrin. It was um, a, a, a very sort of, I wouldn't say prestigious maybe, but it was a, a 70s sitcom that was considered to be quite important in the, US, in the UK. Um, Leonard Roster played the original role. Martin Clunes will be playing the remake. Martin Clunes from Men Behaving Badly. So this is, this is a UK remake. It's a UK remake of a UK series. Yeah. Um, Faye Ripley, Wendy Craig... Um, will be in it as well. The series will be fresh and sharp while updating the original. The original is kind of curious because it, it's the sort of thing that, that would be good to remake, except that you'd probably end up having to make it like Battlestar Galactica, incredibly depressing, because it's all about a man who fakes his own death um, and doesn't tell his family. And oh, then because there was back. that there was that real case. There was that real case in the UK recently, where uh, where that man faked his own death. Only his wife knew, but and he lived didn't. behind the wall. Yes, yeah, yeah. And apparently, um, the original series is is he then comes back dressed as a bunch of different people to try and integrate himself. But it is the creepiest show in the world. In all honesty, it's a very very scary premise. So um, it'll be cre- cre- creepier than Wurzel Gummidge. <laughs> as creepy. Yeah. Okay. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that one. Uh, now, just uh, quickly stepping back to Scott Bakula. Uh, apparently he signed a deal to play in at least three episodes of Chuck as uh, Chuck's estranged father. Ah, mm. spoiler. Because uh, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a whole lot of mystery over Chuck's parents and uh, and, and what happened there. Uh, they never really talk about it. Uh, but Scott Bakula is excellent, and uh, let's just be... I'll be grateful that he's not doing Enterprise anymore. Hey, um, when I cast my pod it's with the box cutters in mind box cutters pod cast done pork is on the table i didn't think last week was particularly messy was it no no i think the different strokes bit was messy i remember just going on for a long time that was more my thing yeah it did feel like that yeah it's i think it's it still did take going- a long time to record given that we'd we'd recorded the majority of it the week before yeah, I was. Uh, I think we were all very tired at the end of it. Not like this one, where we're fresh-faced and happy. Yeah, you got pork. I do have pork. Uh, I, I want to say I, I tried. I'm going to the US later on this year, and I thought, well, I'll try to get tickets to to some shows while while I'm over there. See mm-hmm. if I can go and see Dave Daily Show. See if I can go and see Letterman. And uh, I'm just trying to find the. Uh, can I can I just make a point about Letterman? Yes. Is it just me that's noticed that he's gotten really freaking boring with? Every interview that he can possibly do, it'll be half about talking about kids. I never liked him anyway. I've, I, you know, I've never liked Letterman. Apparently, I, I missed the good Letterman bit, which was back in the late 80s or Before something. Before he started wearing his glasses, yeah. But it's so freaking <laughs> dull. That's where it turned. It turned when he started wearing glasses. Those glasses destroyed everything. Do you know, apparently, he um, refrigerates the uh, studio they, they record in. Apparently, it's yes, he massively air-conditioned. He does. He, he can, he can only work, he, much like me, he can only work cold. Right. He works yeah. best cold. Because well, cold audiences are the best. Because okay. they yeah, clap more so that they can keep warm. So they can keep warm. It's, <laughs> Seriously. It's, it's true. If you, uh, if, if you uh, hear Steve Martin talk about his early days uh, working at Disneyland and, uh, mm. and working in uh, kind of vaudeville type shows, uh, he, would, he would say a cold, a cold day was fantastic. A hot day, audiences are terrible. Yeah. So Dave keeps the uh, yeah Dave keeps the studio cold. Yeah, you should mention that I was just listening to Born Standing Up, the audiobook read by Steve Martin. Ah, oh, is it good? Yes, yeah, great. I'll, I'll Does he talk about Smothers Brothers and Oh yeah, I'd love that. Yeah. Do you know it mildly annoys me the idea of an audiobook that's a bi- autobiography being read by the person because I think being read by someone else would be really interesting. You know, Dame Judi Dench reads 
standing up the life of that'd be really interesting although uh, although Bill, so. Bill Clinton reading his own autobiography was pretty fantastic was it yeah it, was, uh, it, it worked very nicely I think because they're, they're telling it with the, the, the passion that they wrote it with mm-hmm. or they ghost wrote it with and also, uh, <laughs> also with that uh, um, I've listened to a number of Bill Bryson ones and it's really difficult to listen to the ones that aren't read by him the, um, the Steve Colbert book I'm America and, and so, so can you um, is actually much funnier as an audio book than yeah, so, so is uh, the Daily Show's America the book, the audio book, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, it's just a, a great audio book if you can get your hands on that one. Uh, anyway, I tried to get tickets for the yes. Late Show, and you apply via their website. And mm-hmm. what they do is uh, you apply via the do website. Do you still have to have a US address? Well, here's the thing. You apply via the website, and then they're supposed to give you a call and ask you a trivia question, which is the same as uh, when you're uh, calling up for standby tickets, which I did the last time I was in New York. Uh, and I got standby ticket number two, and no standbys got oh. in that day. It was so disappointing. He doesn't go out to the standby audience anymore either. No, uh, it was very, it was very disappointing. But uh, standby, uh, so I standby number two. But they ask a trivia question to make sure that you're a fan of the show, so uh, so that the tickets go to fans and that fans know all the in jokes and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So I sent off the uh, email waiting for my phone to ring, and then I get an email back. Hi, Josh. Thank you for your interest in coming to see our show live. Unfortunately, our online application is unable to process international phone numbers. We apologize for the inconvenience and suggest you request tickets in person when you arrive in the city. (laughs) Mm -hmm. People have been using international phone numbers for years. People just, from overseas, definitely. Yeah, yeah, not people from Australia, because we're here. Yeah, but well, why would we do that? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's uh, that's frustrating. So if you are planning on uh, on doing that, you are going to need to. Uh, or to if you're one of our American listeners, please try and organise some tickets for for Josh. That would be that would be fantastic. Oh, be and don't you have to give them like a range over a month of when you'd like to go? Uh, you give them a, a few days of uh, of when you're going to be in the city and uh, daily show. If anyone has. Uh, tickets for the daily show uh and they want to or, or can get tickets to the daily show uh email us hooray at boxcutters.net and i'll tell you the dates that i'm going to be in new you york you can take josh it'd be like a really creepy date it would i i, I would i would really love that though because the daily show uh, all their tickets are gone from now until february 2010 i've got tickets for rock in two weeks but that's that's not quite yeah it's not, is that not the one at the bar same. No, no, no. Actually, down at the ESPY. So I will, I will be letting you know yeah, not, what that's like. It's it's, a, it's 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 not quite the same, but no. still, you know, yeah. it's better than nothing. It's there. If you can get us two tickets, I'll uh, fly over just for the show. Uh, for the yeah. daily show. Yeah. Also in Pork, um, Battlestar Galactica is back on air. I want to say I, for one, did not say that Roller Lampkin was going to be the final Cylon. <gasps> oh, oh, was I not to mention? Oh. oh, no. I wasn't meant to mention that, was I? No. Especially considering that I'd heard it was Starbuck. Oh, we'll, 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 we'll cut this bit out. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Hang on. What, isn't, it, isn't it that guy who was the teacher uh, who, uh, who taught all those uh, kids Sorry. calculus? It was the dog, wasn't it? The dog from Caprica. That's <gasps> the final Cylon. Oh. No, no, no. It's the, it's the Aussie chick from, from Pegasus. She's the final Cylon. Is it? Uh, oh, no. It's, uh, it's, it's Xena, Warrior Princess. She's, she's, she's twice. The, she's, twice. She's twice the Cylon. Cylon. She is once, twice, three times a Cylon. Cylon, aren't we all? Lower it away. And that brings Maybe us- you're the final Cylon. Is it you? Is I, it you? Well, I don't know. Why don't you ask the other me standing outside the studio? Oh, my God. <laughs> 
That brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode 165. I want to say thanks very much to 3RRR, our giveaway sponsor. No! What are they? They, <laughs> they provide us with our studios. That we yes. give away each and every week. Who are. Uh, oh, you're not a studio winner? You're not a studio winner. What's wrong with you? Sorry, it's, you know what? I was thinking of one thing and then and then saying another. It just didn't work. Fracking Cylon. <laughs> Three Triple R, whose studios we use for recording this podcast each and every week, and also, of course, Crumpler, who are our giveaway sponsors, who give us bags to give to you, and they will again shortly when they're all back from holidays, no mm-hmm. doubt. Thanks to the lovely Doctor Ranson for for taking himself away from a dead body enough time to come Doctor, in tonight. Doctor David Ranson was just an extraordinary interview, and uh, and you know what? I think you should go back to the beginning of the episode and listen to it again. <laughs> and if you did enjoy this episode that much, please. Please go onto the iTunes Music Store or any website you think is appropriate and write a review of Box Cutters because it will help other people find Even the Even inappropriate ones. Go to all the cooking websites you can find and say how great Box Cutters is. <gasps> I would love that. That'd be cool. And then send your links to hooray at boxcutters.net yeah. or text us 0458-CUTTER. Or stick them up in our comments on the blog. Sure. Which you can also log in using your Facebook ID, which makes it so much more convenient. That's Ish. what that's for. I've worked out fine. That's right, what that's right. for. I think you just it allows you to log in with your Facebook ID, which is already there. Put your name up. You don't have any underscores, and you get a picture of yourself. So and, it doesn't uh, tag your wall or anything. Or no, I don't believe so. I think, so. It's, I I think, think it's just a login to, thing. But then it, but then it doesn't. <laughs> we're so uh, high tech, aren't we? I know, I know. But it does give you your uh, Facebook avatar next to it. So uh, if you're John Richards, you're a beautiful little cat uh, with a lovely hat on. Lovely hat. Yeah, I'm uh, not sure about your definition of beautiful, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, the cat's not good enough for you. Until it's a bit of a freaky looking cat. Until next week. Well, she's the final silent. My name is Josh Canal. <laughs> I'm John Richards. I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And hey, let's be careful out there. Because there are Cylons everywhere!